You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, Ricky. It's good to know even when our pastoral staff is out, everybody is able to step in, step up, and um, it's just terrific choice of songs. I appreciate the, the singing, and it's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Uh, welcome. My name is Neil Manning. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Community Church, and I think that's a nice thing to hear, one of your elders. And um, it's my privilege and honor to bring the word to you this morning. Before we do, I wanted to reiterate a couple of announcements so that uh, you're aware of some, some things coming up, and you mark them on your calendar. A week from tomorrow, so next Monday... South Wake Bible Institute is going to start our next semester of classes Monday nights. We have three great classes, and once again, I wish I could take all three of them, but I just can't divide myself into three to do that. Uh, so if you want to learn more, you can check out southwakebible.org or one of the cards we have out in the lobby. And after a service next week, after each service, uh, there's going to be a home group fair. So if you're not already plugged into a home group, if you want to learn more about this, uh, the, the groups, it will be a terrific time for you to go out. Uh, we'll be stationed all throughout the, the church building. You can um, ask certain questions, what time they meet, what kind of coffee do you serve, all the good, important questions. And also this Thursday, um, if you are interested in learning more about Grace Community Church, if you want to become a member, this Thursday and the following Thursday, we'll have Grace Connection class. Please sign up uh, before you leave today so we know to expect you. And if today is your first Sunday with us, we have been in a study of the Gospel of John. But this morning, we're only going to deviate from that a little bit. It's my prayer that um, as I bring a topical study to you, that it would parallel and actually complement what we've been learning through the Gospel of John. Uh, so let me ask a question. What gift have you been given in this world that you would love to be able to carry to the world after, to the next life. Let's think about that. What gift have you been given that you want to take with you into heaven? Um, I don't know about you, but some of the things that come to mind for me is, I hope there are sports. Chad Moody was the only one I saw really nodding along with me this morning in the first service. But I want to be able to eat Oreos and ice cream and then turn right around and play basketball better than I ever have here. Uh, for some of you, it may be a pet. Maybe you just want animals in general to be in the next life. Uh, any, any number of things that you could think of. But I wonder how many of us would even think to consider God. God is a gift given to us that I want to bring with me to the next life. So I want us to consider this morning that since God gives good gifts... He gives none greater than himself. In our time this morning, we will read from several passages that will help us to appreciate the Holy Spirit, God's gift of himself. We will be interacting several times with the Gospel of John, but for our main passage, I want to read from Acts chapter 2. So as Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, he was poured out on Pentecost, and uh, the, the disciples in the upper room they caused a ruckus in town. They started testifying 
to the, the works, the mighty works of God. And then they were accused of being drunk. And at that point, Peter stood up and preached the good news of Jesus Christ. We'll read just a portion of his sermon. And out of respect of the reading of God's word, I'll ask if you please stand with me as I read Acts chapter 2, verses 31 to 39 from the ESV. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to, said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, prepare our hearts for your word. Give us grace to receive your truth. Remove distraction. And Lord Jesus, be honored with our worship. Holy Spirit, please give us light to understand and willingness to obey. Conform us to the image of Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Anytime we try to tackle a topic as big and impressive as the Trinity, uh, it can get very deep very fast. So I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. So instead of ever feeling overwhelmed, just remember the title of our, of our sermon this morning, that the Holy Spirit is God's gift of himself to all who believe on the Son. Um, for several topics, several points this morning, I was helped out by material from, from Michael Horton as well as other theologians, but I think just by the, the scripture that we'll look at, the points that I'm going to be reminding you of this morning will come across loud and clear. So when you leave here this morning, what I want you to understand and better appreciate is that the Holy Spirit has God's gift of himself to all who believe. Let's begin with a walkthrough briefly, of our passage in Acts chapter 2. We'll look at the Trinity and then use that to look more particularly into the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Peter proclaims that God raised Jesus from the, back to life. And because he received the promise of the Holy Spirit, that is, Jesus received the promise of the Holy Spirit, he then can pour out that same Spirit on his disciples. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit as a gift, the promised gift to all that he calls to himself, all who turns from sin to trust in Jesus. Father, Son, and Spirit, each person in the Trinity is active in the drama of redemption. Let's talk about, a little bit about what I mean when I say Trinity. For some of you, this will be a review, and others, you may not have 
never have considered Trinity. We may never, never have heard a sermon about the Spirit or the Trinity. So why is it important? Though Christianity is much more than knowledge, it is certainly not less. To begin to be in a right relationship with, with God, we must know the true God. The Trinity is a core teaching that separates Christianity from all false religions. And in order to know God, we must know Him as He reveals Himself, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what is the Trinity? We affirm with Moses and ancient Israel that Yahweh your God, Yahweh is one. So there's one God, one nature or essence or Godness, God-being. There's one what, but three who's. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Yet all three persons are forever distinct. They are fully and equally God, but they have a distinct relationship. The Father, as the source of this relationship, is unbegotten, always the Father. The Son is eternally begotten. He never came into existence. He's always been and always will be the Son. And the Spirit has always and will always proceed from the Father and the Son. He's not another son. He's not heavenly mother. He's not an impersonal force that we might think of like Star Wars. He's not a personification of the mind or love of God or the energy of the universe. Instead, the Holy Spirit is fully a person of the Godhead. I know this is deep stuff, but stay with me. When we try to think of this stuff and make sense of it, we use analogies. Our mind just naturally makes pictures that likens one thing to another. How many of you have heard and even used some different analogies about the Trinity? Have you heard about the one where the Trinity is like ice, water, and steam, where at that sublimation point, they're all together. There are three different forms, but the same substance. Or maybe you've heard that uh, St. Patrick used a three-leaf clover to teach the Irish about the Trinity. Uh, well, I want to introduce you to maybe another analogy that you probably haven't heard before. It's going to come from our brother, Mez McConnell, from across the pond, and uh, that he delivered a couple years ago at a uh, Nine Marks at Southeastern conference. Uh, I, 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 and I remember in my early days uh, as a believer, uh, Listen, within seconds, within seconds of becoming to Jesus, I'm, I'm all in. I'm a little dude that's always, I'm, I'm all in for everything. And I was back out on the streets. I was homeless for six years prior to coming to Christ. And all my friends were on the streets. Uh, and I was full of beans about Jesus. Man, you could not shut me up about Jesus. But I knew jack squat about the Bible. Anyway, I was with a brother from the church I took with me on the streets. He was as nervous as the streets as I was of the church, so it's quite an amusing uh, combo. Um, and uh, so I took him with me into my sort of early forays into evangelism. And this, I was talking to a friend of mine, a guy, sadly, he's dead now, but the subject of the Holy Spirit came up. And I was asked, yeah, Mayors, what's the Holy Spirit, man? And I'm like, dude. You know, listen to this. So uh, it, this is my opening gambit, it. I proudly told, my, you know, I was proudly telling my friend, I was two weeks into my newfound faith, I now considered myself to be somewhat of a Don Carson of the homeless fraternity. 
it, I said. It's like the force in Star Wars, brother. You can't see it, but it's all around you. Helps you to zap sin. Helps you to fight the devil. And it helps you to do some other cool stuff that I don't quite know about. And what sealed the deal for him is when I said, there's even a dude called Luke in the Bible. <laughs> and I'm going deep, right? I'm going... And my mate, I remember, he was amazed. He goes, that is the greatest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, thank you. Uh, I'm, I've left buzzing. I'm like, yeah, I've done a... Whoa. I've evangelized someone. And... Uh, and on the way home, this Christian friend of mine is a bit pale, a <laughs> little bit quiet. Mezzi said, brother, nervously, he was a bit nervous of me. I was a bit rough around the edges, believe it or not. And um, he said, brother, the Holy Spirit is never in it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a member of the Godhead a member of the Trinity, and he's certainly not a force. Ah, I was devastated. So I said, right, get that car turned around, we're going back. So I was turned, we turned back, I found my friend, I corrected his faulty understanding of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's not like that at all. There's still a dude called Luke, he's cool, but Actually, the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity, I said. Yeah, how'd you like that? And, uh, well, what's that, he said. Well, that is a bit like a peanut M&M. <laughs> so, the Father's the shell, holds it all together. The Son is the chocolate goodness, and the uh, Holy Spirit was the peanut. I'm not quite sure what that one was. Um, Look around, my Christian brother has passed out on the floor. Some sort of, some sort of heretical induced coma. Um, like. I, I think I would be the one heretically in a coma. Just heretic induced coma. Oh man, what is the Holy Spirit as a peanut? What does that mean? So in case you were wondering, the, whole, the, the Trinity is not like an M&M peanut. But our minds find, try to find ways to grasp this Trinity using analogies. But don't use them. They're not going to explain the Trinity. They can't. They're not designed to. Analogies are not designed to explain or understand the uniqueness of the one true God. It might sound a little harsh to say that don't use any analogies to explain the Trinity because they may induce heresy. All right, let's, well, let's consider the helpfulness then of analogies while limiting where they break down, because all analogies will break down. So if you need help to understand or to explain the Trinity, if there's an, an analogy that helps to accurately portray the truth of the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit, or the, the divinity and the personhood of each, then, then use that analogy, but let's recognize this limitation. Where that analogy breaks down, where it fails to 
convey truth and accuracy about the divinity and personhood of each of the members of the Trinity, then set that analogy aside. It's no longer useful. Thankfully, our salvation does not depend on us comprehending the mysteries of the Trinity, but it does depend on the truth of the Trinity. Speaking about God and our salvation, James White says, There is no separating the work of the triune God in salvation from the truth of the Trinity itself. Within the Trinity, we recognize God, God the Holy Spirit as a divine person, fully divine and fully a person. So we affirm with Christians who for centuries have confessed that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified. <coughs> Within the Trinity, there is unity and fellowship and mutual indwelling. This is what Jesus was talking about several times in John's Gospel when he says, I and the Father are one, or I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Gregory of Nazianzus, one of the Cappadocian fathers, actually it was him and two brothers and their sister, so you could say the Cappadocian fathers and mother, but together they helped the church now for centuries to understand and articulate the Trinity. And he said, No sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. From all eternity, the Father, Son, and Spirit exist in perfect relationship of love. So unlike Jerry Maguire, he does, God does not need you or me to complete him. But he did create us as objects of his affection. All along, God's plan has been to dwell with his people and be in union with them. He walked with Adam in the garden and was with Israel in the tabernacle and temple. Finally, God was with us as Emmanuel. But the drama doesn't end there. He will one day fully dwell with his people. Until that day, God the Spirit resides in every believer as the gift of God preparing us for that day. This interwoven relationship manifests itself in all of God's works. In everything, the Father is active, the Son is active, and the Spirit is active. Michael Horton explains that it's not as though there are three different actions as much as there are distinct roles in every act. And theologian Louis Burkhoff explained it this way. Now we find that in the economy of redemption there is, in a sense, a division of labor. The Father is the originator, the Son the executor, and the Holy Spirit the applier. So we can understand that every blessing of God comes to us from the Father, in the Son, by or through the Holy Spirit. Every gift from the Father, in the Son, by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has been active since the very beginning, blessing even in creation, hovering over the waters, making all things good. In redemption, he enabled the ministry of the incarnation of Jesus, his ministry, and manifest at his baptism. In fact, participated in raising him from the grave. The Holy Spirit's role in, in things tends to be applying, sanctifying, fructifying. 
You heard me right. I could have said it differently, but really I just wanted to say the word fructifying. <laughs> Do you know what it means? It just, just like it sounds, it, it, fruit, to, to bring about fruit or to make productive or fruitful. That's what he does. I think it's really neat that God is in everything, active, causing everything to do the very thing that it was designed to do. That extends even to humanity's rebellious will. He lends the very breath that humanity uses to blaspheme him. In everything, there's a divine speech act. I'm going to take a page from Dr. Calvert that the Father speaks. The Son, who is the living Word, goes out and executes that Word. The Spirit applies and brings about the intended purpose. He energizes and blesses it all. At times, God speaks creatively or miraculously by divine fiat. Let there be, and there was. Other times, it's more providential. Let the earth bring forth. And then the plants and the animals, they produce naturally after their own kind. The Spirit is active in cooperation with the Father and the Son to grow the corn on the cob that you're going to have at the state fair next month. He energizes the cells in our body that, so they can heal. He enables medicine by the hand of doctors to help us in our health. He's no less active in the nurses and doctors who are ministering to Margaret's brother, Ed, or treating Elsie Doyle, or those of you who have benefited at the hand of chemotherapy, or medicine from pharmacists. He's in it all. Just as much as if Jesus were to say, rise and walk. He also causes life in the womb through a very natural process. And he gives supernatural life through a very supernatural process. You can think of many other processes in which the Spirit acts immediately, that is, through means, through ordinary means, instead of immediately or creatively. Question for you. How often are we thankful for the Spirit's activity in the ordinary things of daily life? He's there, you know. The Father orchestrating history. The Son holding it together. The Spirit making all things good. This is just a glimpse into the Trinity with a little of this, with some measure of understanding. Let's look now at the Holy Spirit and His ministry to believers. We've got seven points, just because seven is a great number. So I want us to look again at verses 38 and 39 of our Acts passage. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord calls to himself. Our first point is that the Holy Spirit is the promised gift. Just a few days prior to Peter's sermon, Jesus tells his disciples in Acts 1 verse 4 to await the promise of the Holy Spirit. Here's the setting. The resurrected Jesus 
is about to return to the Father, and he gives his disciples final instructions. He tells them, I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But what's the very next thing he does? He leaves. So we genuinely have to wrestle with what does it mean that Jesus is with us when he's physically absent from us? How is he still with us? He promises to his disciples to be with them by his Spirit. We receive Christ and his benefits by or through the Spirit's ministry. But the ascension is not the first time the Spirit is promised. Again, in John 14 and 15 and 16, we're in the upper room. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus is telling his disciples, When the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, whom I will send to you. Again, we see the mutual cooperation of Father, Son, and Spirit. The Holy Spirit was promised to all disciples precisely for Jesus' physical absence from us. Even this is not the first time the Holy Spirit was promised. He's alluded to throughout the New Testament and explicitly in a few places, such as when Isaiah tells that there's coming a day when the Spirit will be poured out from on high. Or in Ezekiel 36 and 37, a difficult book to understand unless you're just awash in the, the drama of all of Scripture. He reports that God says, I will put my Spirit within you. Or how about the passage that Peter quotes from and in his sermon from Joel chapter 2? And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The promised Holy Spirit. Next, the Holy Spirit is the gift to His people because He is the Spirit of truth. Again, in the upper room, the Spirit that Jesus promised to send His disciples is the Spirit of truth. He revealed His Word to the prophets, inspiring for us every word of God and Scripture. He is the author of Scripture and He acts according to it, never contrary. They are as distinct, though, as author is from his book, but can never be separated. Today he provides illumination into that word. J.I. Packer explains it to us like this. The work the Spirit is imparting, this knowledge is called illumination or enlightening. It is not a giving of new revelation, but a work within us that enables us to grasp and to love the revelation that is there before us in the biblical text, as heard and read and as explained to us by teachers and writers. As by inspiration, he provided scripture truth for us, so now by illumination, he interprets it to us. Illumination is thus the applying of God's revealed truth to our hearts, so that we grasp as reality for ourselves what the sacred truth, what the sacred text sets forth. Ultimately, if anyone understands and responds appropriately, it's by the Spirit's illumination. Next, he is the Spirit of Christ. In various passages, he is referred to as the Spirit of God as well as the Spirit of Christ. He is God, the Holy Spirit, sent from the Father and the Son to bring about praise to our triune God. Chances are that if you think you're experiencing the Holy Spirit, but Jesus in his person and work is not being exalted, you're not experiencing the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, again in the upper room, John 15 and 16, that the ministry of the Spirit would point them to himself. 
Look at our passage in John again. He will bear witness about me, that is Jesus, and he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit testifies to the perfect life and to the atoning death and to his resurrection in power. And just as Jesus spoke under the authority of the Father, so the Spirit speaks on behalf of the Son. Calvin, in his Institutes, wrote, All of salvation, or you could say all the benefits of salvation, are found in Christ. If we seek any other gifts of the Spirit, they shall be found in Him, in Christ. The ministry of our Holy Spirit points us to our Savior. He also unites us to the Savior. The Eastern Church has a word they use for this, theosis, um, a Greek word meaning deification. That, that sounds a little strange when you first hear it, but it's actually taken from 2 Peter, where Peter tells that all the saints will become partakers of the divine nature. Not that we become God, but as Francis Turden said, that it is becoming as much like God as a creature ever can. We are brought into fellowship with the Father in the Son by the Spirit. He unites or baptizes us into Christ and conforms the saints to the image of the Son. Next, and this is a broad category, He is the Spirit of life. In the Old Testament, we see that He breathes natural life. He also breathes resurrection life. Jesus said that He has the power to, to lay down His life and to take it up. The Father is said to raise Jesus from the, from the grave. And in Romans, we are also told that the Spirit is the one who raised Christ to life. It is the Holy Spirit who breathes new life into our, into our spirits. Remember our friend Nicodemus from John chapter 3? You must be born again. This new birth, this new life, comes about because of the actions of the Holy Spirit. We call this regeneration or new life. This life, he worked in Old Testament saints as well, in anticipation of the Messiah. But one thing they did not enjoy in the same way as Christians do today, and that's the indwelling, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. A lot more could be said about this, but let me just say this. God permanently indwelling his people is a blessing of the new covenant that came as a result of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. He first had to go in order to send us his spirit. Similarly, Jesus is said to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He inundates his elect with the Holy Spirit for incorporation into the body of believers, the body of, of which he is head. And then the Holy Spirit turns right around and baptizes us into Christ, uniting us and identifying us with him. Horton explains that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is nothing short than union with Christ. Sam Storms wrote that spirit baptism is instantaneous, simultaneous with conversion, universal, meaning as for all Christians, unrepeatable, and permanent. The baptism of the Holy Spirit coincides with salvation, marking His indwelling presence. Sam then continues, sorry, Storms continues and relates a similar but different term, spirit-filled, which describes our continuous ongoing experience and appropriation of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to come under progressively more intense and more intimate influence of the Spirit.
the Apostle Paul admonishes all believers in his letters to Galatians and Ephesians to walk by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. This is our daily pursuit. Baptism, we are united with Christ once and for all. But we pursue the filling of the Spirit day in and day out, moment by moment. Yieldedness. What do you think would encourage a believer's being filled with the Spirit? What things are there that encourage this? We call them disciplines, means of grace, uh, ways that transform our mind to the mind of Christ. That is a ministry of the Spirit which He performs through word and sacrament, the gospel heard and the gospel seen. If spirit-filling is empowerment to walk with God, what do you think is the result of being spirit-filled? Or should I say, what do you think is the fruit of being spirit-filled? The fruit of the Spirit. Part of that process, speech that he brings about, is the fruit of the Spirit. And the greatest fruit of these that he works within us is to love. We don't bear this fruit perfectly, nor instantaneously. Nor is it done by ourselves. We need time and we need each other in order for Him to bring about our maturity, to bring it to fruition. Number five, He is our advocate, our intercessor. Let's turn back to John 14 once more. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Some of you may know that the Greek term there is paraclete that describes helper, Some of your translations may say counselor, comforter, advocate. It communicates a sense of legal counsel. He convinces his saints that the charges against us have been dismissed because of Christ's exchange on the cross. And then he takes our prayers through the Son to the Father, translating them even when we don't understand, we don't know how how we ought to pray or what to pray for. So Jesus is our advocate. He is one of us, working objectively, that is, outside of us, interceding on our behalf. The Spirit is our advocate, working subjectively or within us, convincing us of truth and guiding us into righteousness. As theologian Herman Bavink said, our God is above us, before us, and within us. Interestingly, the Holy Spirit's work of conviction does not end with believers. For the unbeliever, he convinces or convicts them of God's righteousness and our failure to live up to that standard. He convicts that our lawlessness demands justice. For those who believe, their justice was carried out on Jesus at the cross. But for those who continue in unbelief, the Holy Spirit testifies against them in judgment. Rather than judgment for the believer, the Holy Spirit brings purity. He is the spirit of sanctification. There's a reason he is called the Holy Spirit. Father and Son are holy as well, but the Spirit demonstrates God's holiness and makes things holy by setting things apart for his good purposes. In the letter to the Philippian church, we are told to work out our salvation that we've been given. Not for it, but work it out. We do this because God is the one who is working in us. 
He is providing both the willingness and the ability to obey and to grow. Donald Whitney, if you've read his book on uh, Christian disciplines, he says that wherever the Holy Spirit dwells, his presence creates a hunger for holiness. We have seen that God works miraculously, immediately. He also works ordinarily. Can you think of things in your life that have become tools that God uses for you to sanctify you? There's a book on Christian marriage that poses the question, what if marriage wasn't designed to make you happy? It was designed to make you holy. And we're thinking, who got married so we can become holy? I got married so I can become happy. But I think we can start to understand and see the sanctifying effect that marriage has on us. Exercising patience, forgiveness, for some of you, suffering. For others, others of you, it's suffering in a different form. It's the suffering of a loved one, or financial hardships, or strained relationships. My hope is that you will begin to see that as an instrument that God uses for your good. Marriage, along with myriad other things, become tools in the hands of God to, one, make us more like Christ, and two, to store up treasures for the life ahead. Our last point is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the church. And when I say that he's the spirit of the church, it's not the same way that he's the spirit of God. He's the spirit for the church. By speaking forth words of life, God created his church. It was by the outpouring of the spirit that the New Testament church was born at Pentecost. He sustains the church through word and sacrament. By the word read, preached, and studied, we are renewed day by day. By remembering our baptism, celebrating and partaking of Christ's flesh and blood, we're renewed together inwardly. It is by the fellowship of the Spirit that we enjoy communion with God and fellowship with one another. Jesus rhetorically asked his disciples, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the Father knows to give you the Holy Spirit? God can give no better than God. He sent the Son, he also sends the Spirit. Augustine said, He is given as God's gift in such a way that as God, He also gives Himself. So how should these truths affect us? Here are just a few of, I'm sure, many different ways that you can think of that, uh, that as your thoughts are carried throughout today, of ways that it may impact us. Get to know and appreciate God as Father, Son, and Spirit. The Trinity. There's much more to the Trinity than we can cover in one sermon, in one day, even in one lifetime. It's, it's too much to understand, but that we should still pursue it. Pursue Him. Because we are not pursuing a thing. We're pursuing the gift giver as the gift. The prophet Jeremiah said, Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. So don't get wrapped up in the glitter of the packaging or the desire for the extraordinary, but instead delight in the gift giver 
who is himself the gift. Next, receive the gift of the promised Holy Spirit by turning from sin to trust in Jesus Christ. All along we've been saying that the Holy Spirit is God's gift of himself to those who believe. I've been using that qualifier to those who entrust themselves to Jesus. If you're here and you've not yet done that, why wait? Today is the day. Entrust yourself to the Spirit and to God, to trust in Jesus. And Peter's sermon applies to you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I read this week a very good statement that says, Repentance is not forsaking sin that you may turn to Christ. It is turning to Christ that you may forsake sin. So the question you have to answer is, are you believing? Are you turning to Christ? Lastly, the Spirit unites His people with Christ. So rejoice in the blessing of the indwelling God. The, the union that we receive in this reunion, we receive Christ and all His benefits. There's more I wanted to tell you today about the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit as our seal and guarantee, or even spiritual gifts. And I know you have some questions too, like, yeah, I want to check out this spirit baptism thing. Or what did David mean when he said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me? Or I was reading ahead in John, and what's, that, what's the deal with that weird passage that Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit? Well, time's gotten away from us, so come back next week when Brad will answer all your questions <laughs> and resolve all mysteries of Scripture in the universe. No, there's just simply not enough time to delve into every single thing that our, our minds chase after. But do come back next week because I think you'll really enjoy, you'll hear uh, along with the sermon, a panel of elders where we get to discuss again some, some aspects of the Gospel of John that we've learned or should pick up on uh, thus far in our study. One area I did want to share with you more is about assurance. So let me just say this about assurance of your salvation. It is a gift that accompanies salvation. We may not experience it all the same way or at the same time. Our feelings ebb and flow and doubt is natural. But remember, the, our assurance is not, our salvation is not based on the strength of our feelings or even the strength of our faith. It is based in the strength of the Savior who is able to save completely and preserve us to eternity. There are many blessings and gifts that come from the Father, in the Son, and by the Spirit. Take some time to think about them. Thank God for them. And praise Him for His goodness. Let me give you one final quote from Augustine. The Holy Spirit is called the gift of both the Father and the Son. How great a God is He who gives God. The Holy Spirit has been there, active all the way through. In creation, He was there over the waters in the garden. In redemption, He empowered Christ's ministry and resurrection. Even in consummation, when all things are completed, He's there to see it through. He walked with Adam. Fellowship was, that fellowship was broken until Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, walked again among us. And the plan all along has been for us to live with God. The God who is above us came to live among us so that we can, He can dwell in us. And as Christ cares for and prepares His bride, 
The Spirit is there alongside us, crying out, even so, come, Lord Jesus. As we think about ways to respond to the truth of God's Word, one simple way is before us, to celebrate the work of Christ as we look forward to His return. Jesus proclaimed, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. Then he said, it is the Spirit who gives life. My words are spirit and life. So now, let our souls feed on the life in Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.